Chapter Four, Part One of Rocks and Their Origins by Grenville A. J. Cole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clays, Shales, and Slates, Part One Characters of Clay and Shale. The question of what is a true clay has been much discussed, especially by agriculturalists, in recent years. The material as a rock is commonly a mass of kaolin, and if pure, should have the following percentage composition silica forty six point three per cent alumina thirty nine point eight per cent water thirteen point nine per cent some pipe clays white and uncontaminated closely approximate to this ideal true clays are very plastic when moistened and shrink on drying forming a compact mass the particles of which do not fall apart when thoroughly dried however and placed in water lumps of clay break up readily the water creeps in along their capillary passages and expels trains of air bubbles as it goes this fact has been utilized in the extraction of fossils from a matrix of stiff clay if the clay thus reduced to powder is now puddled by the finger it again forms a closely adherent plastic mass the individual spaces between adjacent particles in a clay are very minute and this accounts for its practical impermeability to water but the total pore space or porosity may amount to more than fifty per cent of the volume of the rock unless earth pressures have brought the mass into the condition of shale or slate the tiny mineral grains which are mostly flakes of kaolin chlorite or mica have not shaken themselves down into a closely aggregated state when moistened however and again dried the surface tension of the film of water about any group of grains draws the particles nearer to one another and a considerable shrinkage of the mass results alternate wetting and partial drying tend to make a clay less obdurate and sticky by increasing the number of separate aggregates of grains the passages between these aggregates are no longer so minutely capillary and a clay soil becomes by this process distinctly lighter from the farming point of view the larger cracks caused by shrinkage greatly increase the evaporation of water by exposing new surfaces which penetrate deeply into the clay hexagonal structure may develop by shrinkage on clay flats and is conspicuous in arctic tundra soils the natural flocculation of clays the process by which compound grains are formed in place of individual soil particles is assisted by the action of water bearing certain salts in solution calcium carbonate is an excellent flocculator and this fact has long led farmers to place burnt lime or powdered limestone on their lands sodium carbonate on the other hand is brought up in some dry regions by capillary action and exercises a reverse effect keeping the minute particles apart from one another and thus promoting thorough clayiness in the clay the particles that impart sticky and plastic characters to clays are below zero point zero one millimeters in diameter and graduate down to sizes comparable with those of chemical molecules particles with diameters less than zero point zero zero one millimeter or one micron may be regarded as forming a colloid with the surrounding water in the clay colloidal matter arising from the decomposition of silicates especially under alkaline conditions including silica and alumina and iron hydroxides is believed to gather on the smaller grains and to affect their reactions with permeating solutions clay soils are of course much more complex than clay rocks and their grains may be coated with colloids that are partly of organic origin stickiness when wet seems to be largely a matter of fineness of grain while plasticity the power of retaining a form impressed on it by moulding without crumbling down when dry is very probably due to the platy and cleavable character of the minerals 
that provide the material of the finest grades. Reactions on the grain surfaces when wet may have much to do with plasticity, and recent researches on the flow of metals under polishing processes must be taken into account in considering the characters of the rocks described as clays. A. Atterberg has shown how relative plasticity may be determined in clays, and his classification is useful from a geological as well as an agricultural point of view. He determines what may be called stiffness by noting the maximum amount of water that can be taken up by 100 parts by weight of clay particles without two adjacent blocks of the wet mass merging into one another on contact. To the ordinary observer, a rock possesses the properties of clay and is a clay if it contains more than 40% of particles less than 0.01 millimeters in diameter. In most clays there is a large admixture of quartz sand. The kaolin derived originally from the decay of other silicates is rarely freed from a variety of minerals and rock fragments that were associated with it in its place of origin. Grains of quartz and unaltered felspar, a tenth of a millimeter in diameter, distinctly lighten a clay soil on account of their relative coarseness. A sandy clay is styled a loam, and a fine-grained loam furnishes the ideal soil for the general purposes of a farmer. It does not retain water too long upon its surface, nor does it dry out too quickly after rain. Much of what we call boulder clay proves to be in reality a loam. T. Mellard Reed and P. Holland have shown that even in clays of marine origin there may be a considerable proportion of very fine quartz sand. Calcium carbonate, usually occurring as fine rock dust derived from limestone, or as minute shell fragments, may be mingled with clay to form a marl. The term is not a quantitative one, and may be applied to any clay that shows a brisk effervescence with cold acids. Though unpleasantly sticky when wet, marls flocculate themselves naturally by supplying calcium carbonate in solution to waters that pass through their crevices. The stratification of clays may be invisible throughout considerable masses, unless sandy beds are intercalated among them. Yet when a lump of clay is dried and then placed in water, as previously described, it will often break up along parallel planes, which show that there is a regular arrangement of its particles. The fact that so many of these particles are platy becomes emphasized under the pressure of subsequent sediments, whereby the platy surfaces of the particles are brought into planes parallel with one another. The clay then becomes a shale, with regular planes of facility, which are parallel to those of bedding. A certain amount of deformation of the rock accompanies this change, flow being set up parallel with the bedding, and included fossils being sometimes flattened. This deformation is especially noticeable in the case of plant remains. Shales may in time attain the density and fissile structure of true slate. The colors of clays and shales are of considerable interest. Blackness is often due to organic matter, and especially to fragments of plants, which retain their woody structure in their carbonaceous character when protected by clay from oxidation. The bluish tint of clays is due to finely divided iron pyrites, iron disulfide, which may occasionally appear as distinct crystals or nodules of one or other of its forms, pyrite or marcasite. On oxidation, limonite arises, which colors the mass brown, as is seen in the upper part of many clay pits. The occurrence of iron pyrites often dates back to the time at which the clay accumulated, N. Andrusseau points out that in the Black Sea there is an enormous supply of decaying organic matter provided by the floating organisms of the upper layers. This rains continually down towards the floor. 
the portion that reaches depths of over one hundred fathoms escapes from the voracity of free-swimming organisms and arrives at the region where bacteria alone abound these bacteria act on dissolved sulphates and also largely according to andrusso on the albumin of decaying matter in both cases sulphuretted hydrogen is produced andrusso treats the reduction of the marine sulphates as a minor process due to the need that the bacteria have for oxygen in the deep waters which are insufficiently supplied the sulphuretted hydrogen attacks the salts of iron and iron sulphide fes and finally the disulphide result here we have an excellent illustration of how in deep basins with imperfect vertical circulation black pyritous muds may arise devoid of ordinary fossils the depths of the black sea are practically poisoned by the abundance of sulphuretted hydrogen but numerous cases of shales are known to us where iron pyrites replaces the shells of ammonites or forms complete casts of bivalves and has accumulated also in concretions and crystalline groups such pyrites is probably of secondary origin or arose from the reducing action of decaying organic matter on ferrous sulphate in solution in the sea the oxidation of iron pyrites in shales gives rise to aluminum sulphates such as alums sometimes sufficient heat is evolved during this oxidation to set on fire carbonaceous matter present in the rock pink purple and green are common colors among shales and imply that the iron is in two different states of oxidation when the color varies thus in successive bands we may believe that a climatic change promoted the formation of ferric salts on the land surface when the pink layers were being formed while ferrous less oxidized salts predominated when the green particles were washed into the basin b smith suggests that the organic matter and humic acids which are swept down in times of flood may temporarily prevent oxidation from occurring in shallow lakes and pools dry seasons would thus lead to the deposition of pink clays while wet seasons would furnish green ones the green color in shales is mostly due to chlorite or to glauconite subsequent deoxidation has been invoked to account for the green color of certain shales organic matter may have been responsible and the green spots in purple shales have been attributed to the decay of entombed organisms the reaction having spread outwards from a center clays owing to their impermeability preserve fossils excellently and the oldest shells and corals in which the original aragonite has escaped conversion into calcite occur in clays and shales of mesozoic age origin of clays something has been said on this matter in the foregoing paragraphs it is now recognized that a pure china clay or a pipe clay that is a pure kaolin earth does not arise from the sifting of the products of surface denudation the alkali felspars decompose as they lie in exposed layers of granite and gneiss but the kaolin thus formed under the acid action of atmospheric waters is relatively small in quantity and cannot escape from its coarser associates such as undecomposed felspar and quartz until it is carried away far from land even then as the records of the h m s challenger show marine muds may contain more than fifty per cent of detrital quartz grains and quartz is always the most abundant mineral among the larger particles of the mud where however decomposition of the granitoid rock has been exceptionally thorough kaolin may be present in sufficient quantity to predominate over other materials the product washed from the surface then gathers as a white clay even in lakes and further artificial washing may extract from it an actual kaolin earth or china clay in such cases the rock has become rotted throughout in consequence of subterranean action carbonic acid is the main agent 
and hydrofluoric acid is also indicated by the secondary minerals associated with the kaolin, and the appearance of white powdery kaolin in unusual abundance on the surface is due to the local exposure of a mass that was long ago made ready in the depths. The sifting action, however, of running waters, and especially of the sea upon a shore, ultimately causes clayey material to be carried away into regions where it is slowly deposited. The flocculating action of the salts dissolved in seawater greatly assists the precipitation of clay before it has reached some two hundred miles from land. However, just as sandstone begets sandstone, clays or shales exposed upon a coast produce new clays close to shore. The estuary of the Thames and many slob lands serve as examples. Off Brazil, red clays arise from the large quantity of ochreous matter carried from the coast. Modern green marine muds are found to contain glauconite, a silicate common in the English galt clays, and formed by interactions in the sea itself. Modern blue muds are recorded down to 2,800 fathoms, and contain organic matter and iron disulfide. Much has been written by the observers on the Challenger, and by others on the red clay of truly abyssal depths, which is attributed to the decay of wind-borne volcanic dust, and of igneous matter erupted on the sea floor, rather than to any direct transport by water from the land. Clays may also accumulate on a land surface from fine volcanic ash, which decomposes through the action of percolating waters. End of Part 1 of Chapter 4